0: You're listening to The Writer's Workshop, a weekly podcast about writing, publishing, and the art of storytelling. I'm Nikki Auberkitt, book editor, writer, and cultural anthropologist. Welcome, welcome to the very first podcast episode of The Writer's Workshop, I am your host, Nikki Auberkett, and I am just super excited to finally be doing this. I don't know about you. I think since you're listening to this, you probably relate very, very well on this level where you have an idea in your mind, <laughs> probably a story idea, but any idea in general. And it's great. And you can imagine it panning out so well. But then you just get to this point where you just absolutely terrified of actually doing it. Um, Or I have a very, very dear friend who is an actually a published author, and I'm hopefully going to get him to guest host one of these episodes, just saying. Anyways, his thing is he's written so much, and he creates so much, and it just stays locked away in his house, or really just locked away in his mind, because he does not want to put it out there, because putting it out there means people can see it. It's kind of the point, really, Um, but there's something scary about that. So I get it. I get it. Here's me doing my first podcast episode, and here's you listening, probably thinking, yeah, I've had this story idea for a book in my head for days, weeks, months, probably even years, and it's just been absolutely terrifying to put it into paper, to put it out there, because once it's out there people can read it, people can see it, people know what's going on inside your head. And that's just a level of exposure that some of us are not quite prepared for. But we know that we want to do it anyways. And here we are. I'm doing this podcast, you're writing your book. And you may be thinking, hey, Nikki, I'm not writing anything right now. Well, you will be because you're listening to this podcast. You're listening to me. And the whole point of this this podcast itself is to help you actually get it done, is to help you get inspired to write, inspired on what to write, inspired on how to write it, all coming from somebody who is very, very experienced in writing, in editing, and in cultural anthropology. What even is that? And what the heck does that have to do with writing? That's fun. So yes, I'm Nikki Auberkett. I've been a writer for, oh my gosh, probably 20 years now. Um, And I say that I started as a child and they were terrible, terrible first drafts. I laugh to think about what I used to write about. But the important part is I was writing and I kept writing and I never stopped writing. I eventually became an editor and I actually became an editor, um, About 15 years ago. Never got paid for it. (laughs) It's very voluntary. Um, And I've been steadily and consistently editing people's papers, books, um, manuscripts, um, hard copies, soft copies, digital copies, marketing copy. Just I've been editing and editing and editing for years. Never once did I ever actually consider to pursue it as a career, even though that's what I've been doing nonstop. Now, and you know, as you might be yourself in the wake of the pandemic, starting to just kind of look around and think, hmm, what do I want to be doing? What would I rather be doing than whatever it was I was doing up to this point? And for me, that was really a lot more reading. I wanted to read a lot more books, but I also really wanted to help cultivate new writers and even established writers, established authors. Because as, as my one friend who I mentioned, um, has been published many 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 times. Um he still needs some help. You know, N- not he's a very very good writer. He doesn't need help in that area. What he needs help with is just the encouragement and just sometimes he needs a, sh- a solid hard kick in the in the sea, you know, or kick in the back off that cliff into actually skydiving into a fantastic future. Um and I know he's listening to this and he's rolling his eyes and going, "Oh my gosh, I cannot believe she's talking about me." But here we are. He's, one of, he's just a perfect example, really, of so many incredible writers and incredible authors out there who nobody has read because we're just too afraid to get published or we're too afraid to even put our drafts out there because once the draft is out and in an editor's hands. That editor is going to tell you it's brilliant. They're going to tell you it's terrible. You know, they're going to tell you something. Judgments are being made. And that's scary. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean with me? I am a developmental editor. I also proofread. Um, And really, I know there's this thing called book coaching, and I've looked into it, and I think I already am technically a book coach for my friend (laughs) on the house. Um, but what I, I I am not so much into the line by line editing as I am about helping you craft your work. Um, especially if you, there's two parts to that, really. Let me back up. There's two parts to this. There's a part where you might need help, um, actually structuring your story. I'm designing courses for that. I'm designing um, programs for that to really help you get it out of your mind and into a manuscript. Hint, hint, the course that I'm currently designing is called Mind to Manuscript. The other side to, to helping writers cultivate their stories is maybe you have something that really is ready for a version of editing. Like maybe you've written something And you know, it's not the final draft. You know, it's got some work to do. But it is absolutely something. And you're ready to have a developmental editor look at that. What that means is, let's say you send me what you have. You can send me the first couple chapters for a novel assessment or overview. You can send me the whole gosh darn thing and have the full developmental edit package there. Um, What that means is that I read it, I look at it, I see how did you structure your story? What is your story about? What message do you intend to give this or give the world with this? And did you actually do it? The reason why this is so important is because a lot of times we have an idea of what we want to write. We have an idea of the message that we want to give. And then we get really, really distracted (laughs) with our characters, with our subplots, with all the other things going on. And the original message that may have been very, very clear at the beginning, it's not so clear in the middle and potentially completely lost at the end. We want to avoid that. You want to avoid that. Also, there are other things. Um, I I recently read a, it was actually already self-published online, but I I think it's going to be a fantastic book. It just needs some developmental work. And, And. In this example, um, there's uh, some structural things like there are paragraphs misplaced that were still good paragraphs just in the wrong spot. You know what I mean? That happens a lot. where We have a really, really good substance. There's really good dialogue. There's really well written exposition. It's just in the wrong spot or it would be better in a different spot. I look at that too. That's that's another part of, of developmental editing. There are some other editors out there who might disagree with this, but this is how I do developmental editing. I see this a lot. Like, no, that's not what that is. Okay. It's close to what it is, at least, and what you get with your developmental editing, and it's what I do. And then, you know, I, like I said, I would send you to a line re- editor. Um, other types of editors to get those mid pages because you do want a lot of different eyeballs on your work before it goes into the general public. Fresh eyes mean more accuracy. But I also love proofreading hard copies, uh, whether it's a paperback print or hardback print. Um, and we'll ask my friend when I get him on this show. Um, I'm very meticulous on that. I mean, I take out rulers. I'm like, okay, is your paragraphs aligned up to the, the page? Is, is it lined up with the margins? Are your margins consistent? Um, also, did I miss anything in the digital proofread versus the print proofread? Um, it's very easy to do that. Your, your eyes just kind of blank out after a while when you're staring at a screen. It's very different holding a, a paperback book or a hardback book. Um, so those are all things involved in that. But what makes me significantly different as an editor and what makes this show a very promising show, which I really hope you subscribe to and share with your friends, is the other side of who I am and what I do. And that is cultural anthropology. I am a cultural anthropologist. Emphasis on culture. What that means is that I study people. And I study societies and I study civilizations, but I really hone in and focus on their cultures. What are the stories that they tell? What are the messages and the histories that they preserve in these stories? This is something that we as people do all the time. You do it every single day. Your family does it every single day, Every. Politicians, politics, politicians, and gosh, even your service providers, your doctors—we all preserve our memory in stories because it is much easier to remember something important when it's entertaining than it is when it's just straight up boring facts. And again, I feel like you you probably understand this listening. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, then that makes sense i um, trying to think of a really, really good example here. Here is a really good and really recent and relevant example that I think virtually anybody listening right now will immediately grab onto and understand what I mean in preserving cultural history and maybe even significant history in stories, in fiction. Harry Potter by J.K. Rowling, very, very good example of this because it takes place during the 1990s. That was a little thing that I didn't realize when I first read it, but I was also in sixth grade when it came out and it was just some new book about some kid with a lightning bolt on his forehead. Um, so for me at that time, it was totally relevant to that time because technology and everything it, it, there didn't there wasn't really a discernible difference. But now that I'm a grown adult and I'm looking back and I've seen the movies, I've read the books, and I'm looking back to what I remember from the 1990s, there is a lot of memory tension in what goes on in Harry Potter. You'll see throughout, and this was, it became a lot more apparent later on in the series, but this happens even in the beginning, a lot of struggle and a lot of social dissension between groups, racial groups, a lot of disparity between um, the haves and the have-nots, and then like later on the the pure bloods versus the half bloods, and you know the muggle, you know all these different things going on, creating these walls between people. During the 1990s, this was actually significantly a big problem happening worldwide. It was, It came in different ways depending on where you were, but it was definitely a significant problem that everybody experienced rather universally. To be fair, we're still experiencing it today, but it was definitely um, very deeply felt in the 1990s as, as its own decade. Um, in the early 1990s, uh, the Bosnian-Herzegovina conflict, you know, what used to be Czechoslovakia, suddenly underwent this significant war, this massive war, devastation, ripped up the area. And it was, it was brother against brother, family against family. And I have many friends from the Bosnian community that I went to high school with, went to college with, and they were telling me how people they knew and they loved just turned against them because they had a different faith system where they had a different, they just believed in something different politically or whatever. And they said it was just a nightmare to see their homes destroyed and to see, and to be shoved into refugee camps because their neighbors who they were growing up with or had grown up with just suddenly hated them because they disagreed on something. Um, I know the 1990s also came on the cusp cusp of the apartheid in South Africa um, there were other things going on. There was still a lot of a uh, racial struggle in the US. Not a big surprise there, but you know what I mean. Like there are things going on. There are riots that happened in Los Angeles. There's a lot going on in the world, even in England, in, in the UK, where there's just a there's a lot of disparity between, you know, whether you were wealthy or whether you are poor. And I do remember growing up in a financially Impoverished family. I would get picked on in school for not having Calvin Klein pants. And this was at a school that used uniforms. And you know the idea that uniforms mean everybody's on the same playing level? It doesn't. And uh, Harry Potter actually points this out where they have uniforms, but people can still tell who comes from a well to do family and who does not. And it's mentioned and it's noticed. And I felt that in a deep level when I read it and I was hoping my classmates, because I read it when I was attending this school and they were like all over this book as well. I was hoping they pick up on that's not okay. (laughs) You know, it's not okay to pick on your classmates for being less wealthy than you just based on what they wear, especially when you're all wearing the same darn thing, things like that. So today or even years from now when people read Harry Potter There's a lot more social commentary happening than we initially picked up on, but there's a lot to discuss in the future with our children, with our grandchildren, when they want to know, okay, what was going on? What inspired this going on? Um, Now that's a modern version. Another one that just came to mind is Animal Farm. Now this is a book I had to read when I was a freshman in high school. I didn't understand it at all. I thought it was the weirdest book and it made no sense to me. And that was very odd for me because I was a very heavy reader. I've always been a very heavy reader. I just could not tear my eyes out of a book. Um, Big surprise, right? I'm an editor now. (laughs) Um, So when I told my parents this, they were actually really surprised because this is very unusual for me to hate a book, especially a fictional book about talking animals. My stepfather suddenly realized what was going on. He's like, oh, good thing for you. I've read it. I know what it's about. And he explained to me how Animal Farm was actually a fictionalized overview of what was going on in Russia during the Cold War and really what led up to it. And he's like, it starts with the Bolshevik Revolution and it just goes on from there. And then he helped me, you'll see how who each animal, each character represented in real life. In the moment... He helped me make that click. The whole book made so much more sense. Now, do I necessarily remember offhand the names of everybody involved in the Bolshevik Revolution and the rise of the Soviet Union? I mean, Stalin's an obvious one. And there's Stalin and Trotsky, you know, and there's others. But, you know, it doesn't really come to mind as quickly. But do I remember a group of pigs overtaking the farmer's barn and then sending off the horse to the glue farm? All these different... Yes, I remember that very well. (laughs) And so do a lot of people. What's fascinating in this example, because this happens a lot too, is that we remember historical events and we remember historical concepts a lot more than we realize, only because it's masked in a way in the stories, in the fiction. So there's a, I can promise you, there's at least 30 other people, because I was in class with them, (laughs) who actually remember all the details about the Bolshevik Revolution and the rise of the Soviet Union, but they don't realize that's what they're remembering because what they do remember is that one book we read about a bunch of farm animals taking over the farm. That's fun. So what does this have to do with you? Because I'm sure you're listening to this going I feel like she went on a tangent. I didn't. I promise. This is all coming down to what does this have to do with you? Whatever you write, whether it's fiction, whether it's nonfiction, but let's focus on fiction for now. Whatever you want to write and whatever you are about to write, whatever you are currently writing, you have this incredible opportunity to preserve your history. And to preserve the history around you in these stories in a way that people are going to remember it. People are going to receive the message that you're sending. As long as you know what that message is and you communicate it in a way that's easy to look back on or easy enough or interpretable enough to go back on. Another good example of this is The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. That is a series, it's very, very difficult to watch or difficult to read, whichever or listen to whichever your favorite uh, way of getting the story, movies, books, audiobooks. Um, It's very difficult to experience the story and not clearly see slash hear the message being given. Suzanne Collins had a lot to say about what was currently going on in the world. What's interesting is right now, we can read it and look back at it and go, oh yeah, no, absolutely. But when it was actually written and when it was actually published, we as a society were not exactly on it when it came to these issues and these problems and what are we doing to each other? What are we doing to our society? So it it came across as far more (laughs) fictiony. fictional, I should say, than it did as a commentary. Now, you know, oh gosh, I hate saying that phrase, hindsight is twenty-twenty, but cough, cough, nudge, nudge, I think you know what I mean. Now, looking back at what happened in real life, and what's currently happening, and also rereading these books, or rewatching the movies, or re-listening to the audiobooks, there's a lot of correlation, and you could say, oh my gosh, Collins saw this, she heard this, she, she knew what was going on. And she also knew the rest of us were taking a little time to catch up. So she communicated her observations through this book series. That's what I'm talking about. You as a writer have a fantastic, really a breathtaking opportunity to do something similar in your own way. What are the things that you believe in? What are the things that you stand for? What are the things that you want the world to remember? Even if it's just your personal life. I read a book, Um, a, I think it's called, yes, The Man Who Loved Clowns. I apologize. I cannot remember who the author is. I will update in the, in the description if I do remember or hop on my Instagram because I will update it. Anyways, this is a woman who simply wanted to remember her brother. And she wanted the world to remember her brother. there's a lot of challenges for him developmentally, but also socially. And she just genuinely loved her brother. Now, did her brother do anything of global significance or even national significance? No. Was he known beyond their small town for the most part of his life? Not really. It was just very, you know, average Joe, small town. But now there's hundreds of people, maybe thousands, I don't know, at least several hundred people who will remember him and his life and his sweetness and just the kind of person he was because his sister wrote this book. Fiction is a fantastic way to do this without blatantly putting ourselves out there because that's scary as well. You know, when we throw our ideas out there, we're either going to be hailed as somebody who's massively observant Or we're going to be thrown back as somebody who um, is just crazy or, oh my gosh, you're getting too political or you're getting too, you know, tree huggy or whatever people like to say. Because as much as we love to love each other, we also love to hate each other. Um, Fiction is a great way to send your message with minimal judgment ahead. Now, people are going to judge your writing style. I recently read a book um, where I actually, I thought it was great. Um, but I read a lot of reviews were scathing, and they just criticized her writing style. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you didn't understand what she was getting at, because I understood what she was getting at. Um, and maybe it's not your cup of tea, cup of tea, okay, whatever. But the story's there, the stories exist. And it's still good. And it was still good writing, and everything was grammatically correct. It was just... Some people didn't like how it was constructed. Oh, woo. Okay. (laughs) People are going to be like that. When you write, when you publish, you can publish the next New York Times bestseller. I mean, making millions off of your future contracts, have the world's best agent. And there's going to be a group of people out there who think you just stink and who think that, you know, your book is good for nothing more than backup toilet paper. I mean, there there are people who are going to be like that. Embrace it. Except that, you know, just go into this knowing it's going to happen. The important part is that you get to preserve your memory. You get to preserve your history. And you get to preserve your commentary in what you write and how you write it. And that really is what this podcast is here to help you with. This is what I'm here to help you with. Like I said, I develop mental edits. So should you decide that you do want to work with me, please feel free to email me. It's a uh, Nikki at Nikki, Nikki, Or you can just pop to my website. I have forms. You, it says book now. Really. That's just, uh, it's a form that you fill out. Give me an example of your work. So I know what we're working with. as I tell my current clients, you know, when I get on the same page, pun totally intended, you know, it's completely free to, to at least send in your inquiry. We'll talk about where you're at, but, I come into this with the full understanding that you have a message to send. You have a story that you want to tell, and it is yours. Your voice is yours. No one is going to ever take that away from you. It's far more important to get it out there than it is to keep it locked up in your mind where nobody can benefit from it. Because no matter what it is that you want to write, somebody out there needs to read it. Somebody out there needs to hear it on the audiobook. Somebody out there really, really needs that Netflix binge, okay? Any Shadow and Bone fans out there, I am just, uh, <laughs> that is right. And, and my friend, again, my, my author friend, he'll message, he'll text me, he'll message me he'll be like, "Yep, for another episode, because I need it. I'm like, me too. And yeah, we'll just drop everything and watch another episode. Someone out there needs that from you. And if you don't write, you're denying that person that escape, you're, you're denying them the help that you can give. So I hope this really helps inspire you. And I really look forward to sharing more about, you know, what it is, what what storytelling can do, how you can tell your story, how you can craft your story. There's a lot that goes into the social structure, which is going to be fantastic. I'm really looking forward to sharing a lot of the social science that goes into actually crafting your story and I think you're gonna really love that too. This message is for you. If you are a writer and you have a work that is ready for that first stage of editing, which is developmental edit, please drop me a line. Go to ww.nikkioberkit.com. I'll put the information in the description as well. Send me, you know, your form. Send me what you got. Let's talk about what this will look like. Um, if you're not quite at that stage, but you definitely want to keep in touch. Also sign up for the email list or you can even go to Instagram. My account is at Nikki Auberkit. I'm constantly posting great tips, great tricks, you know, uh, writing inspiration, encouragement. I'm looking for pictures of your bookshelves if you have a fantastic, or just a bookshelf, I should say if you have a fantastic bookshelf, but really I just told somebody today right there in public, All bookshelves are pretty bookshelves because they have books on them. Send me a picture of a bookshelf and the caption that you want to have. I will help promote your Instagram as well. Writers helping writers, editors helping editors. We're all in this to share our gifts of the world. So please do keep in touch. And if you are really, really interested in actually being part of a brand new course that will help you get the story idea out of your head and onto paper. Maybe you you haven't even started writing yet, but you wanted to. And the big question holding you back is like, how do I even begin? Where do I even start? Again, follow me on Instagram or email me or you'll sign up on my, on my website. Um, let me know. We'll talk because I am... Absolutely loving this whole new course. I've got a lot of really, really good feedback specifically designed to help you there. So eventually you will be ready for that first stage, that developmental edit stage. That's it for today's episode. And I, again, I'm looking forward to a whole series up ahead and I'm looking forward to getting to know more about you guys. And then do feel free to share this podcast with as many friends as you know who are writers or who want to be writers and just want that extra boost of inspiration, both on the logical side and also just go get them. And you're going to hear me say this over and over and over again, because if you do anything, do this. Just keep writing. You've been listening to The Writer's Workshop. If you want to learn more about developing your craft, or you're ready for an editor to take a look at your manuscript, head on over to NikkiAuberkitt.com. Be sure to follow me on Instagram as well for more tips, tricks, and inspiration. And as always, keep on writing.